Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you stay focused on Christ's mission for you. Victor Frankl, survivor of the unspeakable horrors of the Holocaust, learned a profound truth there. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. This episode is about a specific attitude that is so simple to understand that most of us have never given it much thought. Yet, its practice has enormous power to draw our hearts continually toward Jesus. And that is what this new series is about, A Closer Walk with Jesus. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 57 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yagel. Why begin a series, A Closer Walk with Jesus? Because that's the most foundational part of the mission assigned to us by our Lord. And I don't know any Christian man who wants to fail in the mission assigned to him by Jesus. This podcast seeks to clarify this mission by summarizing the various passages of Scripture that identify our mission both as created image bearers of God, our creation calling as men, and as redeemed image bearers of God, our discipleship calling as Christ-following men. These various passages fall into the three categories, we are called to Christ, we are called to be like Christ, and we are called to exercise dominion for Christ over every sphere of our lives. The series we begin today, A Closer Walk with Jesus, returns us to the first and foundational calling to Christ to enjoy a love relationship with him. This component of our calling is expressed, for example, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Or, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or, God has called you into fellowship with his Son, 1 Corinthians 1.19. Or, Jesus' teaching in John 15, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason our call to Christ is foundational for the other two-thirds of our mission, called to be like Christ and called to exercise dominion for Christ, is explained by Jesus in this text. Accomplishing the rest of our mission can only happen by staying connected to him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Real spiritual fruit, in other words, in becoming Christ-like men, husbands, fathers, employees, and neighbors, only comes through the branch staying connected to the vine. So, what is the one simple practice that our episode today examines that has tremendous power to turn our hearts toward Jesus? The practice of radical gratitude. Ellen Vaughn, who often co-authored articles with Chuck Colson, observes the power of this seemingly insignificant pattern of behavior when it's a way of life. She writes, it's incredible. The small, compliant human action of saying thank you 
constantly links us to the awesome creator of the universe. In the practice of perceiving every day as a gift from him, we stay connected to Christ. We can't wander away from Christ as our hearts are so prone to do. As we thank God for his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, we remain in his presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. He says, you are welcome, and more. We begin to see things from his point of view. The conversations of a continually grateful heart become a way of life, a fountain flowing in us, the means by which we acknowledge our dependence on Christ, enjoy him lavishly, and run to do whatever he wants. Well, this is not original with Ellen. Paul teaches that the practice of radical gratitude is at the core of life as Christ followers. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and following. In Colossians 3.15, Paul simply commands, be thankful. The writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. One of the reasons that radical gratitude so powerfully keeps us connected to Christ is that it attacks one of the two roots of sin, refusing to give thanks to God. Paul explains this root sin in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We've seen this in prior episodes. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, number one, or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The failure to give thanks to God is identified here not as a mere peccadillo, a trivial oversight, Paul says this failure is at the core of evil. In fact, says Paul, ungratefulness for God's revealed character and supremacy opens the door to a slippery slope, which he continues to speak about in this text, to all kinds of evil. The surprising truth revealed by God about the evil of ungratefulness tells us something significant about what pleases God. Back to Ellen Vaughn. Cultivating a grateful heart is not just an add-on nicety, a civil, meaning polite, tip of the hat to God as we steamroll through our day. A posture of purposeful, perpetual thanks to God is absolutely essential to Christian character. It gives glory to him. It is the key defense against Satan's temptation to despair, distrust, dysfunction. It protects us from sin and self. It is the hallmark of heaven. It does not exist in hell. Jonathan Edwards makes a helpful distinction between two categories of thankfulness, 
what he calls natural gratitude, which is thankfulness for the blessings we have received from God and others. Life, health, family, freedom, a warm bed, a roof over our heads. It is a mindset of active appreciation for all good gifts, large, small, physical, emotional, spiritual. It is a virtuous kind of thankfulness to God, the kind that caused Thanksgiving Day to become part of American life. It was understood that our thankfulness was directed to someone, because so many influencers in our culture then believed the biblical teaching in James that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Edwards further wrote of a higher level of gratitude, which he called gracious gratitude. It gives thanks for who God is. It gives thanks for his character, for his goodness, love, grace, majesty, his excellencies. It is a mark of the work of the Holy Spirit in one's life. It is confident gratefulness for who God has proven himself to be, when the circumstances he ordains for us are painful. We see gratefulness for who God is in the life of the psalmist, who longs to know God even more deeply, even as his enemies surround him. We see it in Job's words, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. We see it in Paul, whose secret to contentment is revealed in his grateful attitude for the privilege of knowing Jesus. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Vaughn points to the fruit of radical gratitude in Paul's passion. He was unquenchable, unstoppable, full of thanks and peace and joy, not because of what he had, but who he knew. This kind of gratitude grows throughout the lifetime of the believer, irrespective of circumstances. As we become more and more aware through the Scripture's truth and the Spirit's power how desperately sinful we really are, we also become more and more astounded by how righteous God really is. We see more and more clearly that God is God, holy other not some manageable deity that we have made up in our small minds. We realize the impossible gap between our sinfulness and His holiness. It is insurmountable, but for the cross, which bridges that chasm. We look to the cross and are overwhelmed by the love of Christ, His blood poured out to make us right with God. Practicing radical gratefulness seems to be a core strategy in facing the overpowering emotions that accompany difficulty in trials. Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, which we read earlier, seems to follow a natural progression. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Rejoicing is linked to giving thanks. Paul says the secret to facing hardship is the practice of finding ways to thank God for who he is and other blessings when you are not feeling thankful. This practice can buttress us with a measure of joy in the midst of pain by remembering who God has proven himself to be. 
We see the same link between joy and thankfulness in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Radical gratitude for who God is, thanksgiving always mingled with our prayer, provides the power to face our daily frustrations. A mom was struggling over the reality that her once close relationship with her teenage daughter had devolved into a briar patch of stinging barbs and angry outbursts. The mom couldn't say anything without igniting a verbal explosion. The worst part was that the mother couldn't seem to stop herself from losing it during these conversations. But she read the verse in Everything Give Thanks and made the decision to head into the fray with a commitment to radical gratitude. Her prayers were nothing very special. Thank you that you're with me. Thank you for giving me this daughter. Thank you for her health and that she's even able to speak. Thank you that her mind works so quickly. Thank you that what you are going to do in her life is not yet over. Thank you, God, for your patience with me. Looking back on this effort to give God thanks no matter what, she noticed a number of things. Finding ways to be thankful to God freed her from the emotions of the moment, so she didn't respond to her daughter out of frustration or anger. The distance allowed her to see humor in some situations, a healthy way sometimes to diffuse emotions. The more she thanked God for her daughter, the more she was able to perceive her as his daughter. She found that developing the habit of giving thanks gave her more resiliency and flexibility instead of always being ready to snap. Oddly enough, her emotions changed, and she couldn't wait for her daughter to come home from school so she could lavish love on her. Healthy emotions in us so often seem to materialize following the act of giving thanks no matter what. Here are four benefits of radical gratitude. First, the practice of simply looking back at past blessings from God over the past week and verbalizing your gratefulness to him by thanking him is like reaching out and turning up the thermostat in your house to warm it up. Even when we are tired or running on sheer discipline to talk to God because we don't really want to, the act of our will to thank him warms our hearts, turning them toward him. Perhaps that is why the psalmist writes, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Secondly, as we saw last week, perhaps Satan's most dependable strategy to lead us into sin and consequent destruction is to cause us to doubt God's goodness. Courageous gratefulness heads right into that attack. I have seen that lion-hearted courage and wisdom in the lives of two men I am honored to call my friends when the one's 21-year-old son and the other's grandson was suddenly killed. God is full of compassion for us. He never wants us to suppress our pain, but rather take our grief, our sorrow, our frustration to Him. That's why He gave us the Psalms. Yet, God tells us, in everything, give thanks, and count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. For good reason, the choice of radical gratitude by choosing to find ways to give God thanks 
insulates our hearts against the deep-rooted sin of ungratefulness from which complaining, anger, hardening our heart towards God and bitterness come. Giving thanks to God in the midst of difficulty presents us with the opportunity to prove our allegiance to God, to complain, to murmur as the children of Israel were famous for doing in the wilderness is really honestly personal disloyalty to God, publicly slandering the name of God for not taking better care of those who have trusted him, refusing to complain about the trials God takes us through, on the other hand, is about personal loyalty to him and a decision to trust him. And trusting God is so precious to God that he likens it to pure gold. Third, a grateful heart is closely linked to humility, which is the most foundational attitude required for God to work in us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, Matthew 5, 3, or James 4, 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The concepts of gratefulness and humility derive from recognizing our dependency. Radical gratitude causes thankfulness, making known to God and others in what ways they have benefited our lives, which is the flip side of humility, recognizing how much God and others are actually responsible for the achievements in my own life. Fourth, radical gratitude brings a life of joy. I love the wisdom of Proverbs where we read, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. Victor Frankl again, you choose your attitude. Not only do we all long for joyfulness, but we also recognize that our joy makes us more contagious Christians, and we all want to see others come to Christ because of our lives. One more time, we return to the link between thankfulness, joy, and gratefulness for who God is. Notice these three in Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So let's close out this discussion with a personal challenge from Jesus. That challenge is be in the top 10%. From Luke 17, Jesus was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Leprosy is a hideous nerve disease that can cause a man's nose, fingers, or toes to rot away. 
Old Testament law held that a person with such a contagious skin disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower parts of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He must live alone outside the camp. To be admitted back into society, he had to have his healing verified by the priests. Jesus' heart is moved with compassion for them. He tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Ellen Vaughn again imagines this scene. The ten stumble along the road, robes flapping. Bystanders scurry away from them. As the men hurry, the dirty rags fall away from their faces. Haram, shouts one, your nose. What do you mean my nose, says Haram, bustling along. You've got one. Piling to a stop, slamming into one another like clowns at a circus, they stare at each other's faces, mouths wide open. They unwind the rags from their hands, shouting because they have fingers again. They leap into the air. They land sure-footed. They strip off their bonds and clap their arms around each other's shoulders, laughing with joy. They can't wait to find their families. They sprint toward town. But one whirls and turns in the other direction, back toward Jesus. He runs fast with his new feet. Weeping, he falls and kisses Jesus, perfect ones. Thank you, he sobs. Thank you, thank you. Ten were rescued, cleansed given a brand new beginning, yet nine ran the wrong way. May you and I be the one in ten who relentlessly runs toward Jesus to tell him thank you. May we show the world the truth that Viktor Frankl discovered. The one freedom humans always have is the freedom to choose their attitude. When it hurts and we are frustrated, when our lips are sorely tempted to complain, May God's grace empower our hearts instead to choose loyalty to our Lord in everything to give thanks. To summarize this episode, the strength of the bond of love, which we experience with Jesus, is the foundation for accomplishing what Jesus put us on the planet to do. In fact, loving him in that bond is the greatest of his commands. A little-known truth about our human heart is that we were designed with a heart that thrives the more grateful we are to God for his blessings, and especially the blessing of who he is. Intentional gratitude not only warms our hearts when our passion for Jesus has cooled, it can insulate us against the doubts about God's goodness that Satan uses to tempt us to rebel against God. Gratefulness and humility also go hand in hand as we confess often to our God our utter dependence upon Him to produce any spiritual fruit that lasts. Cheerfulness is the result of radical gratitude, an attitude that we choose. We can make ourselves or others miserable with a complaining attitude or choose thankfulness. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. For further prayerful thought, number one, why would the practice of giving thanks work to warm your heart toward Jesus like the practice of turning up the thermostat of your home? See your show notes for additional questions. 
Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forzingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This index is also in the show notes of every podcast. Next week, we continue our new series, A Closer Walk with Jesus. I find that the people who love me most and want the best for me are those I enjoy being around. But more than once, I've been betrayed by one I thought had my best interests at heart and didn't. So doubts sometimes creep into my heart about God. Will he someday betray me? Is he really good? This episode answers those doubts about God's goodness. Hopefully not only our own, but those of our loved ones as well. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by equipping them and inspiring them each week while they commute or work out.